16, verses 15 through 19, Jesus has asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And uh, they gave various responses. And he said, well, who, who do you say that I am? Because they had said, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist, returned from the dead, and others say you're a prophet. And, and he said, well, who do you, my followers, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, ever quick to be the first to jump in. How many of you love Peter when you read the Gospels? You like Peter? I like Peter. Uh, Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want you to pause and think about that for a moment. Here's a man who has been trained all his life in a culture that states God's name is so holy, you don't ever, ever, even by accident, attach the name of God to anything human. They are complete. God is so holy and above us that you don't ever connect God with people. So for Peter to say, you are God, you are the king of glory, you are the Christ, the Messiah, that was, he had to overcome some hurdles just to get it out of his mouth, to be able to say it, even though he believed it, just to be able to confess it. So it's just that you understand the context of what's happened here. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed from heaven. Glory to God. Somebody say amen. amen. There is a rock of revelation that hell cannot prevail against. If you're up on that rock, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Let me talk for a little bit about what Jesus said to Peter. Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, that is outstanding. He said, that is absolutely, God the Father has revealed, given you that revelation. And he said, let me tell you who you are. You see, when we know who God is, and we let ourselves believe that he is the God of his word, he then tells us who we are. We find our identity when we identify him. We find our identity in him. Jesus immediately turned around and said, well, good, let me introduce you to yourself. You, and up till that point, his name, you know, till he met Jesus, had been Simon. Jesus changed his name to uh, Petros, Petros, and uh, Peter, which means a little piece of a rock. So Peter, you're a little piece of a rock. So for the past couple of years, Jesus has been saying, hey, little piece of a rock, listen to this. Hey, little piece of a rock, and he would address Peter. So he says, well, let me tell you who you are. You are Petros, little piece of a rock. And upon this rock, now the English uses the same word, but in Greek, it's a different word. It's Petra, P-E-T-R-A, Petra, which means a massive rock, a mountain, solid rock mountain. So he says, let me tell you who you are. You're a little piece of a rock. 
And upon this massive rock, this great rock of revelation, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you release on earth is what heaven will have released. Inside every Peter, every little piece of the rock, inside every Peter who receives Jesus as Lord, there is a massive spiritual revelation. There is a Petra inside every Petros, hallelujah, that is ready to rise up and do awesome and powerful things. Can you say amen? Now, this guy Peter, a little piece of a rock, until Jesus had met him, he was a man who was very centered in his own flesh. He was not unlike a lot of us, impetuous, quick to speak, but he wasn't too courageous. Sometimes we confuse being impetuous and jumping out with being brave. We confuse being brazen with courage, but he was not necessarily courageous. He denied Jesus, ran and hid when they were accusing him of being Christ's follower. He was a man that had big intentions, but he was tethered to a short leash of self-interest. And like many of us, he had very strong opinions, but he was never going to venture out of his own comfort zone to act on any of those. The status quo was safe around Peter. He wasn't going to go turn the world upside down or set it on fire. Peter would live his whole life in one town and catch fish. That's who Peter was. That was Petra. A lot of dreams, a lot of opinions, but in the final analysis, he really wasn't going to be doing a whole lot about those things. And so when he first meets Jesus, he says to Jesus, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. One thing about Peter, he did know himself. And he felt when he stood in the light of Christ and he saw who he was, he saw these shortcomings that I just described in his characterization. He said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But you know Jesus, he's not, he's not going to easily let go. And so, praise the Lord, Jesus just puts his hand on uh, um, Peter's shoulder and he sees what Peter looks like standing on the rock. He sees the life of Peter sitting, standing on top of Petra, the mountain, the rock of Revelation. And hallelujah, he knows this man he knows the Peter who will walk on water. He knows the Peter who's going to see Elijah in Moses. He knows the Peter who's going to walk through the streets of Jerusalem and his shadow is going to heal crippled people far from that man, hallelujah, who would never leave uh, Galilee and just catch fish all his life. You see, whoever lives on this rock of revelation has the power to bind on earth. Remember last week's message, how that God has established the earth for his kingdom forever to be here. And so it's important to the will of God that his will is done on earth. That's his ultimate purpose. It is a place where the will of God is supposed to be done. And whoever lives on top of this rock, they will call the will of God upon the earth and the will of God will come. 
They will bind and it will be bound. They will loose and heaven will release it. That rock of revelation is the kingdom of God. And Jesus offers that revelation to each and every one of us who have received him. Remember, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and I give you the keys of the kingdom. The Father had given those keys to Jesus. Life, death, hell, and the grave. And Jesus turned around and he gave the authority of his kingdom to us. Hallelujah. When we stand on that rock of revelation, when you see who he is, you see who you are, that authority has given, been given to you. In fact, it is your heritage and your destiny of every born-again Christian. It is the heritage and destiny to live on the rock of kingdom authority and to exercise that authority upon the earth. Do you realize that every day of our life, God wants us to walk around here like we know what's going on. God wants us to walk through life like we're in charge. Let me say that again. I'm going to try English. Every day of your life and my life, God wants us not to swagger, but to just walk in faith's confidence on that rock of revelation like we know what's going on. Like we're in charge. If we really believe that the Lord has that authority, that he's in charge, why don't we act like we're in charge? Hallelujah. Like we know what's going on. Life has a way of wearing us down. I get it. Wind and time wears down mountain ranges. But the power of the rock, hallelujah, moving through a Peter raises monumental testimonies that will change and endure through history. Hallelujah. In Romans 8, Paul writes, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons of God, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons and daughters of God. And if we are sons and daughters of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So whatever Jesus has, we have inherited it. The keys of the kingdom, the authority he had, he has given to you and I. And that authority is that rock of revelation. He said, I'm going to build my life. I'm, I'm going to build my church on people that have that revelation. They know the transformer lives within them. And that authority is in their life. Praise the Lord. You know, Satan knows that divine authority is the trademark of sonship. That is the one thing that determines if you're a son or a daughter of God. The one thing you have is you have authority, divine authority that God has given you. That's what makes you a child of God. And because the devil knows that divine authority is the trademark of the true children of God, he vigorously promotes the concept of a Christianity filled with children of God who have no authority. And that has really been the stumbling block for the church for so long, is to sing songs and to read scriptures and to remember and to celebrate and to worship a Jesus who has all authority and power while we believe for ourselves that we have none of that authority. 
And Satan promotes that image, but that's not the image that Jesus said he was building his church on. Jesus was building his church on the mentality, on the image, on the reality, on the truth that all authority and power has been turned over to us through him. Can you say amen? amen. So look, if Satan couldn't keep you from receiving Jesus, then he is doing everything in his power to keep you off of the rock of kingdom revelation. And he's using your own weaknesses, your own idiosyncrasies, your own inconsistencies, your failures, your mistakes. He's using you to convince you that you don't have standing on the rock of revelation. He's using you to convince you that you don't have standing with the keys of the kingdom with kingdom authority that can be used against him. Because the day you realize that you have kingdom authority, then Satan's dominion over your life has been lost. Praise the Lord. You know, Satan twists the word of Jesus. He says that Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of kingdom authority if you can earn the right to use them. That's what most of us hear when we hear Jesus saying, I give to you the power, the authority to bind and to loose. But that isn't what Jesus said. What Jesus actually said is, if you've got the revelation, you can have the keys. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, upon this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church, and I give you the keys of the kingdom. If you realize Jesus is Christ, if you realize that you have the uh, authority, then he gives you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. Whatever you release on earth has been released from heaven. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Praise Hallelujah. The Lord. So don't let Satan back you down off the rock of God's revelation that he's put you up on. Don't let him stop you from living in that place, standing boldly and confidently on that place of kingdom revelation. Don't let him frighten you with your own weaknesses and with your own shortcomings. Most people cannot be talked out of what God has given them by the opinions of others. But when they see themselves in the mirror, that's when the confidence to stand on that rock that Jesus is building his church on diminishes and they begin to come down and let the devil talk them down. Don't let the devil frighten you with your own weakness because Jesus said in Luke 12, fear not. Don't be afraid. When you see yourself, when you see your shortcoming, don't be afraid. Fear not, little flock. He knows that we're a little flock. He knows that we're small by comparison to the circumstances of the world. Fear not, little flock, because it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. What are the greatest statements that Jesus ever made? Fear not, little flock, because your Father is happy about giving you the kingdom. It makes God happy. He rejoices. Do you remember when the, the disciples came back from healing the sick and casting out devils? And they said, wow, Jesus, in your name, we prayed for people and they got healed and we cast out devils and 
people were delivered and mental illnesses were cleared up and people were in their right mind and we saw you move in power. <clears throat> the Bible says that Jesus danced and rejoiced when he heard that testimony. It gives the Father great joy when you use the authority of the keys of the kingdom. Can you say amen? amen. And the reason is, is that when you use the authority of Jesus, that's what makes God look like a father. It is you, his children, that manifest God as eternal father. His glory, his power is manifest when the world sees you operating in that power and in that authority. Your view of life from up on top of the rock will change you. Just as Jesus said to Peter, wow, that, that is a rock of revelation. You must be standing on God's mountain of revelation to be able to see that I am the Christ. You are seeing the kingdom. So now let me tell you who you are. And you remember that Peter had first said, I'm, I know who I am. I'm, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord. I, I'm not worthy. He wanted to push Jesus away. Jesus wouldn't have any part of it. He says, just come with me. He said, it's going to be all right. He said, I see you up on this rock, and you're going to find out who you are. Hallelujah. And it's going to change you. You see, when you stand up on that rock, it not only changes you, but you see God's unconquerable love. You see his absolute kingdom authority operating in you as his child. That's the first revelation that we receive when the Lord opens our eyes as we see him moving powerfully in our own lives. It's the first thing that Jesus introduces to everyone who gets introduced to him is God's power, God's authority operating in them. Remember when you first got saved, there were dreams and imaginations. You read the Gospels, and you'd read about these happenings in the book of Acts, and what did you do? You put yourself in there. You imagined yourself doing those things. Who was that? That wasn't the devil. That wasn't your crazy imagination. You see, you're the one who said to Jesus, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You're the one who said, I'm not worthy. It's your heavenly Father who is saying, you see Jesus, um, you see Peter's shadow? I remember when I first got saved. I used to try that stuff. I remember I, I was maybe only saved a couple of months. My mother was vehemently opposed to me getting saved. She didn't mind believing in Jesus. I, nobody in my family was saved. Um, you know, so, but, um, you know, at least in an academic sense, she wasn't offended at the idea of believing in Jesus. It's just when I decided I was going to follow him. Um, so she had a big problem with it. So I would secretly sneak up behind her. She, I remember she was at her makeup table putting her makeup on one time, and she was saying, I got one of my terrible headaches. And uh, so mom used to get these terrible headaches. And um, I remember sneaking up beside her and just putting my hands on her shoulder and just praying quietly to myself, be healed, I command this headache to come out of you. And then... And my mom going, oh, I love you too, honey. What are you doing? <laughs> because I just saw God, you know, God is operating. God is moving. His authority 
It's moving through me. That's, that's what life looks like from up on top of that rock of revelation. You see the love of God for yourself. You see that confidence. Praise the Lord. And uh, like I said, you know, time plus wind wears down mountain ranges. But when you stand upon that mountain of revelation, not only are you not worn down with time, but uh, you become a growing monument, hallelujah, to the Lord, to what he's doing. How many of you remember the prodigal son? Jesus told the story about the son that took the inheritance and ran off and left his father's house, went out in the world and wasted his inheritance on riotous living. And of course, as things happened, the economy fell apart and he was just basically starving out in the street. And he finally figures out, well, I, I don't want to starve to death. I know what I can do. I'll go back to my dad's house and I'll just kind of go slump-shouldered and he's got a lot of workers there and I'll just show up at the at the uh, at the workers uh, office what do, what do they call it uh, um, human resource I'll go to the human resource store <laughs> see if I can get a job and uh, and at least then I can make some money I know my dad's place hasn't shut down and so the son tried to go home as a worker he tried to go home as a worker. You see, sin consciousness had stripped him of his identity. He had forgotten who he was. And so he hoped for nothing better than an opportunity to work. When he came to God, if you will, because that's what this analogy is all about. When he came to God, he came hoping the best he could do was work for whatever little relief that God would give him, that his father would provide for him. He knew his father's house was full of provision, but he had, he had long since given up believing that he had any right to it. After all that he had done, he had no access to that provision, but maybe he could work for it. But when his father saw him walking up the path, hallelujah, he came running out of the house, and he saw his son and immediately diagnosed what his number one problem was. The father saw that his son had lost his identity. And the first thing that the father needed to do was to put that identity back on his finger. And he took out the ring of kingdom authority. He took out the family ring with the family signet. He took out the ring that says you are a son in, on this ranch. Hallelujah. You are a son in this family. And the first thing he did was he put that ring on his boy's finger. Then he hugged him, then he put a robe on him, and he made sure his son had his identity restored. The first thing that's going to have to happen, if you're coming home, I don't have any children that work in the servants' quarters. All my children live in the house. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? All of my sons and daughters have authority. They all have one of these rings. And they all walk around with my authority. When they go to town, they do business in my name. And I have credit everywhere. And they go in my name, buy and sell and trade and multiply. And um, they are trading with my wealth and getting prosperous with my wealth. That's the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. 
that you and I are in today. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus knew in advance that Satan would use our failures to scare us. He'd use ourselves against us. And he knew that Satan would try to talk us down off of the rock and he knew he would eventually, he couldn't stop you from going to church, but he'd get you to quit using the authority of the kingdom. And many Christians have gotten into a habit of going to church since the days they've gotten saved, but they've fallen out of the habit of binding and loosing and using the authority that God's given them. They slowly have succumbed to the wind and time wearing down the tall mountain that they once stood on. And they've let themselves become diminished. And most of their, uh, most of their thinking about God using the authority that He's given them is now imagination in the rearview mirror instead of expectation of what's going to happen today and tomorrow and it's just going to get better as we go on. And so Jesus knew that the enemy was going to wear you down and he was going to try to take that confidence of God's authority away from you. And so he uses a phenomenal story involving who else but Peter. Peter was always so willing to let himself be the object in Jesus' lessons. And the disciples were with Jesus at the Last Supper, and they asked a question that all of us want to ask, but they were brave enough to ask it. I bet Peter was the one who positioned himself with the question. They said, Lord, we have left houses and families, and we've been following you, and we've left everything for you. What do we get? What do we get? And you might think that Jesus would say, oh, you mean you're in this for yourself? Well, I don't know. If you're not in this for yourself, I don't know how you're going to be any good for anybody else, to be honest. Do you want to be married to somebody who has no confidence? Do you want to be married to somebody who thinks they're ugly, dumb, backwards? Is that who you want as a partner in life? I don't think so. If that's what you want, and I know some people do look for that in a mate, it's an evident, it's evidence of your sickness, <laughs> of your problem. Every healthy person wants somebody healthy to partner with. God does not want sickly children. He wants robust sons and daughters standing on that mountain of revelation. And so they said, well, Lord, what do we get? And I, Jesus seemed to be delighted with the question. And he answers, and he said, let me tell you, you guys who have followed me through my trials, I grant to you a kingdom. There you go. Little flock, what do you need? I know what you need. You need the kingdom. Amen. You that have forsaken everything, I've got what you need. You need the kingdom. His answer to everything, I give you the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom has the ring, the authority to bind and to loose and to bring the will of God upon the earth. I grant you a kingdom, Jesus said, just as my Father granted it to me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon. Now he's right in the middle of answering and he, he snaps his fingers. says, Peter, Peter, Simon. Pay attention. That's exactly what I looked it up. Simon, Simon, pay attention. 
Satan has demanded to have you all and to sift you all as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter, so that your faith will not fail. And when you have become converted, when you have turned around, the word converted means to turn back, to turn around. The devil's going to turn you. He's going to take this wonderful confidence that's been building in you these past couple of years, and he's going to knock all the wind out of your sails. He's demanded to test all of you as wheat, and you're going to feel like you've just collapsed and you've failed. And he said, but I have prayed for you, and it's not permanent. It's not a failure of faith. It's just a little lapse of faith. There's a difference between a lapse of faith and a failure of faith. You have lapses. You don't have failures of faith. You're still on that mountain. Hallelujah. Lift up your eyes. Look. Look around and see what God is showing you. Simon, Simon, he says, pay attention. The devil has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you are converted, when you are converted, turn back and strengthen your brothers. Well, that is one of the greatest lessons that Jesus left with the church. Because Jesus uses Peter to remind us that it's his intercession that put us on that mountaintop, not our own. And when the enemy sifts you like wheat, how does he sift me like wheat? Well, he got to you. And apparently there was enough of you hanging out that he got a hold of something. Do you, anybody not understand what I'm saying? You see, Satan cannot kick the front door open, march into your life, and just grab you like a rag doll, have his way with you. How does he get in? You open the door. How does he get a hold of you? You, you give him a little something to hold on to. That's exactly, but it's not a faith failure, it's a lapse of faith. That's all it is. Hallelujah. Remember, Jesus said, remember when that happens, I am praying for you. And your faith will not fail. It's just a lapse. It's not a failure. Are you listening? It's just a lapse. Why are you living like you've had a faith failure? Why are you going day by day, week by week? When's the last time you laid hands on the sick? When's the last time you declared the word of God to somebody? When's the last time you acted like you were standing on top of that mountain of revelation and spoke with the boldness and confidence of someone who actually had the keys of the kingdom of God? You see, you've let the devil talk you into a faith failure, but it's not true. It was merely a lapse. Jesus never stopped praying for you. He ever lives to make intercession. In fact, it was his intercession that put you on that mountain in the first place. You're still there. Hallelujah. Don't let the devil talk you into acting like you're not. He's building you as part of his church on that mountain of revelation. Somebody say, praise the Lord. He said to Peter, when you are converted, what does that mean? That means when you've shaken it off, when you've gone to the Lord, when you've repented said, Lord, I'm sorry. See, most of us spend our time saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the moral boo-boos or the sins or the mistakes or the rebellious moments or whatever it is. We spend all our time repenting for that. But the real stuff that needs a repentance or a turnaround in our prayer is, Lord, forgive me for not using my authority. Forgive me for not taking out the keys of the kingdom and using them. 
I take them up now. That's repentance. That is when you turn. It's when in prayer you get up and you firmly have the keys of the authority of Jesus' name because you know you're sealed in that name. And He has put the ring of the Holy Ghost on your hand. And you know, child of God, that you are standing in His place. Hallelujah. That is what repentance is. And so he said, Peter, he said, don't worry, you're going to turn around. When you have turned around, when you're converted, convert your brethren. You know, there are some Christians today who've been saved, but they're not converted yet. They have not converted their thinking from secular thinking. They haven't converted their, converted their uh, thinking from I'm a failure thinking. They haven't converted their thinking from the Lord saved me by grace, but that's the only thing I've got going for myself. Of course His grace is all we have going for ourselves, but Jesus didn't save nothing. Jesus saved something. Jesus doesn't love nothing. Jesus loved something. And His grace infuses that something that is you with His divine power and His glory. And He wants those keys of the kingdom in your hand. He wants you releasing from heaven what heaven has released. You're looking out at the world. You're seeing what needs to be done. Why don't you do it? You're looking out at the world and you're, you're seeing the enemy that needs to be stopped. You stop him. You're looking around and seeing that heaven needs to release a revival. You release the revival. Be the one. Be the one. Are you listening? Be the one. That is the mountain of revelation. What has the devil talked out of your hand? What has he talked you into? He's talked you into a state of leaving all of that in somebody else's ministry. It's someone else's ministry to be that. Someone else's ministry to do that. No, it's yours. That same ring that was on Jesus' finger, honey, that, that ring's on your finger. It's the same Holy Ghost that came on Jesus when He was baptized in the River Jordan that came on you. Jesus said, I must go to the Father. For if I don't go, the Holy Ghost can't come to you. He didn't send a backup. He didn't send a Holy Ghost double. He didn't send a Holy Ghost stunt man. He sent the Holy Ghost. <laughs> the same Spirit that said, Lazarus, get out here. It's the same Holy Ghost that's in you. If that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it'll quicken someone else's mortal body. The Bible says, no, it quickened your mortal body. Come on, do you need, let it quicken you today. Hallelujah. Let it quicken you this afternoon. Let it quicken you tomorrow. Glory to God. You see, when you have stood up on that mountain of revelation and you have been converted, Jesus said, once you're converted, go convert someone else. Once you have been strengthened, now you have what it takes to strengthen others. And that's where I want to bring this message to a close, is on that one thought, is that when you have been converted to kingdom thinking, you are now qualified to convert someone else. And there are a lot of people that need to be turned. They're saved, but they haven't turned away into the fullness of what God has. You need to encourage them. You need to strengthen them. You need to speak. And 
You don't do that by looking at Petros. You do it by looking at Petra. Inside you, little Peter, inside you is a massive spirit of revelation that is going to extend your life beyond what it ever could possibly have been. That is the, that is the spirit that is in you today. Stand with me this morning.